Last week, if I can kind of set the stage for what we're going to do today for our service, uh, last week we talked about ways that we all as individuals uh, can try to center our lives on presence was the word that Haley drove us toward. And this was as opposed to uh, what comes really naturally in our culture, which is centering our lives on things like productivity or centering our lives on things like prosperity. Um, And these come really naturally to us but they can leave us kind of feeling flat or empty or exhausted. And so Haley's encouragement was to lean toward presence. So what we thought we would do this week is ask a question right next to that question of how can we center our lives more on presence. What we wanted to ask is how can we be helpful in the lives of those around us to help them more centering their lives on presence? How can we be like bringers of this to those around us? This isn't just every person for themselves. Um, So uh, the image that Haley and I were working as we thought about this for this week is the image of chaplains. Uh, So like a hospital chaplain, for example, those people who are present in the midst of the most painful or scary or uncertain times for people. And our sense was that like, not everybody is called to be a chaplain as their job, like as their, as their calling or vocation in life. But there are ways that all of us can be like chaplains in our everyday life, uh, in our relationships, in our interactions, in our communities, because I think the reality is every one of us at any given moment has at least one friend who is in pain. I think that that's the truth. Every one of us at any given moment has at least one friend in pain. And when we confront that pain, it is in chaplain-like ways of being that can have a massive positive impact on those friends when we interact with them and on us as a result as well. This is this is what it means to help others be present or on Jesus terms, this is what it helps to, to this is what it means to help others carry their crosses or their burdens by entering into the pain and uncertainty of another's life and holding that space for them. So uh, that's my intro. To entertain this idea, what we wanted to do is invite somebody who actually is a chaplain. And so I am thrilled to be able to invite into conversation uh, one of my favorite people, my friend, Natasha Huang. Natasha, do you want to say hello to everybody? Hey, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here, Natasha. Natasha is a chaplain in a hospital in California. Uh, she is an extremely thoughtful practitioner of guided prayer experiences, uh, of, of which I have been a, a beneficiary. Uh, she is a generally fun person who actually looks around to try to feel joy. It looks for it. And that is something that she models for me, and I love that. And she and I are both a part of a once-a-week uh, virtual group that learns about contemplative prayer practice together. That's how I've gotten to know Natasha. Uh, and though we are on sort of uh, different uh, places in uh, the United States, um, I am just so thrilled that through the magic of the internet, we get to learn from her today. So uh, as Haley mentioned, our chat is open. So if you'd like to participate or have a thought or a question, uh, a comment or anything that you want to share, please use the chat here in Zoom, or you can do that over on YouTube or Facebook. And Ed Wang, our, our moderator for today, is going to flag those for us. But uh, I am going to, without any further introduction, uh, invite Natasha in. So Natasha, if I can, if I can swing a question your way, maybe as, as a way for you to introduce yourself, um, can you tell us a bit about what it's like to be a chaplain and why you're in that game? Sure. Thanks, Vince. Um, so what it's like to be a chaplain, it's, it's amazing to be a chaplain. And um, the reasons are that 
we have the privilege of being with people in some of the most crucial times of their life. Sometimes it's before a big surgery. Sometimes it's while they're recovering from surgery. Uh, personally, I work in a hospital, but chaplains work in all sorts of settings where people might need someone to accompany them through uh, a difficult experience. So some chaplains are in the military, some are in prisons, um, a lot are in hospitals. And um, so I just finished a year of a chaplaincy residency at a hospital during um, you know, a very unusual time in our lives when sometimes family members weren't allowed to go into hospitals because of the pandemic and lots of um, safety restrictions. So um, to be a chaplain was a huge honor and a huge privilege to be at the bedside with folks who could only call their family members and not see them in person. Um, and so I, I see it as sort of partnering with the sacred or the divine to be with people in very human moments. So that would be my elevator pitch. I love that partnering with the divine to be with people in the most human moments. Is that, is it, did I say that correctly? Yes, totally. That was really good. That was really good. Uh, it strikes me that there's something like, um, in the way you said that it's deeply like human, human affirming the, the, the belief behind that, the theology behind that is like, people are not rotten and dumb and that's why they need to be saved. People are like inherently worthy and beautiful and valuable. And that's why they need to be saved. Right? Like God, uh, God sees us as so valuable and loved, and so we, he, God must be with us rather than we're just so rotten and so and we need something to fix us. Um, I, I'm I'm curious to hear like as you um, uh, something that you mentioned to me earlier is like when you enter into a space as a chaplain with somebody who is in pain uh, that you have this kind of like philosophy of what you're driving at. And uh, I wonder if you can like unpack that for us because I found it really beautiful when you told me earlier. Sure. So, um, you know, as chaplains, we, we walk into lots of situations where we don't know everything that's going on and we certainly don't know the outcome, right? We, we walk into situations yes. where the, the doctors and the nurses are trying to actually fix what's happening, but there's no guarantee. And so um, that's really, really... Um, strengthened my conviction that we show up and we are a non-anxious presence to mm. whatever the situation is. I don't show up with answers. I may have a couple of <clears throat> ways of being that I think might um, be helpful for the situation, but I don't go in with an agenda. I don't go in with a desire for the patient to become this way or that way. I don't have goals for the patient. And so my philosophy is mostly um, I lead with connection hmm. and um, there's a very um, helpful phrase for me, which is that people need connection more than answers. Hmm. Um, I, get, I get asked a lot of questions in the hospital that I honestly don't have the answer to, right? Why, why would somebody who followed all the right ways of being healthy end up in the hospital when someone who probably deserves to be in this hospital bed is still living their lives. Uh, why would something horrible like this happen when this year in general has been horrible for someone's personal life? And sometimes I just have to say, I don't know the answer, but I'm mm. here with you. And I'm here to sit with you in however you're feeling right now. And whatever you feel right now, um, 
is is seen by another human and is honored by another human and if the patient believes this by god or by um, a higher power so um to lead with connection means that i have to be connected to my own emotions and my own experiences i can't leave that outside and come in right and i can't leave out my identity um and what i look like what i represent you know uh, i'm a um, asian american woman and i have to go in and connect with whoever is in front of me and so it's about my humanity too it's not just about my role as a chaplain you know um i very much bring my own self in and the more connected i am to my experience my suffering or my pain and my joy the more i'm able to connect with that and other people as well as who they are and what they represent in society and that really um breaks down a lot of walls um before we even start connecting yeah that and that just feels so important i'm thinking about any of us who um, you know, we, so we are that person who, and we're aware of the fact that there's a friend of ours, a family member of ours, someone close to us who is in pain, and we wish to be helpful. We wish to be something that can that can help them center, you know, and be present and and do all of those good intentions. But you are bringing up this idea that actually to be helpful in that space, to be one who is a non-anxious presence, there's a degree of understanding what you're bringing into the room. Um, yourself. And I, I wonder if you can tease that out a little bit more, because I think my sense is that a lot of us in any one of those situations uh, can't be a non-anxious presence because we kind of feel a little bit anxious. Like, are we <laughs> supposed to, is there something we're supposed to say? You know, is there something we're supposed to do? And and your idea of leading with connection sounds right, but like, uh, can you give us like the, the 101 course in leading with connection? <laughs> How does it actually work, right? It sounds great, <laughs> but how does it actually work? It's hard. I bet it, it sounds hard. Yeah, you know, I mean, so just to be real, I, I talk about non-anxious presence, but I still feel totally in touch with my own helplessness hmm. and inadequacy when I walk hmm. into, whether it be a friend situation or a um, hospital situation. But what helps is I relieve myself of the responsibility of having an answer or fixing it. And so that already takes away like 55% of that anxiety and that helplessness. And the rest of it is just reminding me, oh yeah, I'm human. (laughs) Hmm. Okay, cool. Let's, let's move forward together knowing that I don't know, you know, sometimes what to say or how to be. Um, And then also just remembering that if I'm here to hold space for another human, um, I, I do know that I'm here with them and I have my own experiences, but, at, mm. but it's also about them. And if I'm here to hold space for someone else, um, I'm just here to uh, listen, to ask questions, to reflect with them, not to share answers necessarily. But if I uh, have a question, sometimes that question can help the person on the other end clarify something for themselves. And so if I hold that human being with curiosity and I cherish them as someone who's sacred and loved, that drives my ability to ask questions, not the right questions or a smart question, but just to say like, wow, like I'm really invested in what you're going through. Hmm. Um, I just can't help but wonder dot, dot, dot. And if I'm wrong, they'll they'll clarify for myself and for themselves what's going on and sometimes it's it's just in the connecting and the engaging and having someone feel seen 
that they can kind of connect more with what their own resources are and who they are. I think a lot of times when people are suffering, we forget who we are. We wake up and we're like, who am I even today, right? Like Mm. pain is just so strong. Who am I? And to ask, how have you gotten through other times in the past? What works for you helps them access their sense of self. And if that person, depending on their faith background, their connection to Jesus or their divine um, source. So that so, that needs to help me. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, you, you're using like, you're reminding them who they are. There's something really beautiful about that approach to being with someone in pain. You, it, It's totally counter to the idea of offering answers or interpretation for what's going on. Cause it's not, you know, bringing in something new. It's helping them access something that's already there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, if, if I believe that the other person is the expert on their own self, mm-hmm. then I just partner with them to remember who they are and remember what their resources are, knowing that when someone's going through a lot, um, they might be kind of clouded or have strayed from who they know they are. And so I'm just there to support them in reconnecting with their sense of self. I don't need to tell you who you are. You know your own story, right? Sure, of course. Expert on like Vince, if Vince is going through something, (laughs) of course you're the one who knows what helps you get through things, you know, what your triggers are. So, you know, just to kind of relieve myself of like, of course he knows better than I do, but I'm here to support, you know, whoever it might be um, in their journey. That feels so sensible. And like, why, why is it so difficult to, to be so sensible, right? Like we kind of like trick ourselves. And certainly I think we do this in, 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 in spiritual conversations. We trick ourselves as if there is some magic from beyond that is supposed to make everything feel better. Uh, but I just love the picture or like the words that you're using are uh, you're using remind, you're using partnership when it talks about God and you and the person in pain. Um, I, I'm wondering... Uh, it's something that we talk a lot about at uh, at BLC is um, the the uh, moving away from pictures of God as distant, deterministic, pulling strings from afar, um, and in, and and moving toward images of God that uh, that that look like Jesus, this uh, good and loving, present with what's going on, God on the ground, God not a high up in the sky, distant God, and um, it, it strikes me that your oppor- when when you are the person who is who is being with someone else in pain, I, what I'm curious about is like how, how has that like helped you, how, like how has that formed what you believe about God? Because it strikes me that what you're doing is you're sort of doing what we're taught. What what I feel so struck by when our church talks about moving toward that more close God, that present God, that God that's like Jesus, not the high up in the sky you know, 60 something white guy with a beard, uh, God, you know, like it's uh this is very different. And does that, does that change the way that you operate as, as somebody who is a believer in God? Wow. Yeah. I love that question. Yes, I think so. And I think, um, you know, I think if any year was the test of hmm. who I am and what I want and what I believe it would have been being a chaplain during COVID year. Yes, Um, yes. And so what I learned was that we we can say all these things about who God is, but when another human is in front of you, it's, it's not about what, what we know 
in our brains. It's, mm. it's about a sense of God is here with this situation. We don't have the answers. We don't have the solutions. And there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but somehow in the midst of, you know, where two or three are gathered. And so if it's just me and another patient, that's two of us. Right. And same with me and another friend, that's two of us. There's, there's something else um, beyond what we can really explain or understand. And um, kind of knowing that and holding on to that and just kind of stopping right there and not trying to like prove it or go further because um, if I if I think well God's here so then why not why isn't this this that and that happening that's not always helpful but just to say okay we're here together I think God is with us now how can we hold this sacred space and realize mm. that wow I see you and I see what you're going through and if we truly believe that Jesus um, you know came out to be with people Jesus must know what this is like too mm. and. Mm. And Jesus sees everything within you that needs an extra touch of grace. And mm. that's what I will ask for in this situation, because there's not a whole lot else that I can control. So um, for me, how this has shaped my understanding of God is just that, man, I don't really need to um, do all that much in terms mm. of, I think half of it is just showing up and being real and just being present to what is real. And then that kind of gets gets rid of a whole charade of like, well, am I doing this right? And like, is it this way? And what's this requirement? And like, but if I believe this, I have to do it that way. Like, I can't, I don't know about all of you guys, but I can't handle that much um, mental gymnastics. So I just have to- Yes. I just have to show up and just acknowledge when I'm confused and when I'm like sometimes when I'm angry, sometimes with a patient, I'll, I'll pray and I'll say, God, we feel angry and we feel so hurt and confused that this is happening and we just don't understand. And we know that we can say all these things because they're true to our experience and you see it anyway. Um, and then there's wow. times what when, a prayer. yeah, it's, 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 and you know, the thing is sometimes I walk in and, and the patient says like, oh, you know, you're a chaplain. I can't cuss. I can't. I get that too. Right? And it's like, no, that's not what actual ministry is about. And I don't think, honestly, that's how, I I think that's not how Jesus's actual ministry was about either, right? He went to the realest of real places. So if, if we want to partner with that, um, that way of being, why not? Let's go there. Hmm. I love that. It strikes me that so much of the anxiety that we might feel when we're in the role of helper or, or you know, or everyday chaplain, um, so much of that anxiety is, um, I mean, if we, if we believe in a living God, a God that can that can uh, come and guide us in the moment and, and, and encourage us or inspire us in some way or give us words, we feel so anxious because we're like, God, I'm praying for the right words to say and I don't hear it. What are the right words to say? Oh no, you know, and then you implode. And uh and what you what you were encouraging us like hey do you, do you know do you know that 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 voice that's in the back of your head or that presence that's in the back of your mind that just kind of is turning the dial down on all of those things that is the voice of god that is the living god guiding us in the moment and i i mean what a what a gift to be reminded again it sounds so sensible right like it's it it, it seems and yet to 
to do the sensible thing feels a bit hard because there's a lot of like cruff or layers built on top of that and now it's gotten all confused and oh my gosh I have to be the perfect friend or the perfect helper to the person in pain and that is just so unhelpful mm -hmm. yeah so true sometimes the the simplest thing is the purest thing but we just construct all these other things around it and and some yeah. of it is, some of it is defense mechanisms too out of my own hurt or hmm. or having been helped in the wrong way or my own ego and my need to prove something to myself right and so it's also just um constantly growing into why can't i just let someone cry hmm. right or why can't i hear someone voice their doubts about God? Is it because that triggers the fact that I have doubts about God? Oh yeah, fascinating. Right? Wow, yeah. Why, so it's it's not to accuse myself or to be down on myself, but just to be curious and say, hey, I'm so curious why um, I have trouble staying in a situation when someone just needs to keep crying. Is Is there something in me that's afraid of vulnerability or of weakness or, you know, and just to say, okay, huh. Let's see, you know, let's let's see if the next time I can kind of be aware of what's going on in me and just stay a little longer and just wait and not scramble to come up with something to say to fill the silence. But can I just give one more beat of non-anxious presence? And it's amazing, actually, sometimes um, this is now back in the chaplain role in the hospital, but sometimes someone will just go on and on and on about their life story and their pain and how nothing's working. And I just really, I don't know how to get myself or them out of that story and that situation. And I just, if I just hold that space and just wait one more beat, sometimes at the very end, they will come to their own conclusion. Wow. And I don't have had to, I don't have had to have said anything um, except sort of reflecting back along the way and showing that I'm engaged. And sometimes at the end of it, Someone might say, well, that's the story and nothing's changed, but I feel better having just shared it. And, and you're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if my agenda going in was, yes. I feel better by the end of this, I would have inserted myself along the you way. You would have subverted the whole process. Exactly. Yeah. But just to say, I don't have an agenda. I'm just here to be with you. Maybe the outcome is that they will have felt better. Or maybe the outcome is something will have been sort of fixed without us trying to do that. And that is when you're saying, that's when I realized that's the whole point. If the divine wants to work something out, they know how to do it. <laughs> we just show up and help hold a little space and help be that human connection for the divine to do whatever. Mm, mm, that is really beautiful. And, and again, it just, it speaks of not just a non-anxious presence, for the person in, in pain that we are hoping to be there for, but a non-anxious presence for ourselves. That just feels, that gosh, that, that feels, uh, I'm seeing a, a bunch of, uh, I just wanna flag, cause there's a bunch of um, notes in the chat here of uh, people like uh, attaching themselves to uh, uh, language that you've used, uh, Natasha. Um, curiosity um, replacing uh, like anxiety or doubt. I just, uh, that, that, that's such a good one. Or, um, or the, uh, the uh, just attachment to that idea of non-anxious presence. Um, uh, the, the idea that we do not have to invalidate real emotions or feelings in any way. Like what praying can just, can bring exactly what we are feeling. And we don't have to couch it. We don't have to sugarcoat it. We don't have to make it sound palatable or turn it into something that sounds like belief if we're not currently there. And um, all of that is, I, I just think 
people are, um, this is what I was hoping for, is that, is that we, would, we would kind of feel that sense of, um, we all have a drive. People are just, you know, when you turn around and you see somebody in pain, of course you want to act and you want to be helpful and you want to be the person who is, is, is good to that person. And yet, um, because of all these layers of, you know, what, what does it mean to be spiritually helpful to somebody that we're talking about? But then also because of all these things that you're driving us toward, which is like, there are personal story things going on for each of us that might get in the way of us being that non-anxious presence. And, um, and I just, I, I find that a really, um, a really encouraging way to look at uh, the the growth uh, curve for our own lives because that's not uh, that's not looking at ourselves and wagging the finger at ourselves. That's not looking at ourselves and you know like oh why can't you shape up and be better? That is this is attached to my values. I want to be a non anxious presence to somebody else, and I believe that you know God is is encouraging me toward this curiosity toward that so that uh, so that I can so that I can be that non anxious presence to someone else and to myself. Mm-hmm. Totally, for sure. Yeah. There was, yeah, uh, there was one more um, uh, sort of way of being, that, uh, a chaplain way of being that you and I uh, touched base on ahead of time. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit uh, to us about the idea of bearing witness. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes too, what really helps me is just this idea that I just show up to whatever is happening. That's the first step. If I show up, the rest, I will somehow know what to do in the situation. Mm. And, um, you know, in the hospital context, when someone is really sick, sometimes they just don't feel like themselves. They might have tubes or IVs or um, lots of stuff going on uh, physically where um, they're just not who they once were right and if the family member comes and sees a family member oftentimes we hear i don't i don't like seeing them like this or i don't want to remember them like this and i think one of the things that a chaplain gets to do is we get to bear witness or we get to really see someone in their reality now which sometimes really sucks and just is so painful um but also to honor and remember who who they have always been in their Mm. best sense of self on the inside Mm. and so sometimes you know kind of like with the earlier anecdote of if someone goes through a a long winding story of of their life experiences sometimes it's just helping someone remember who their best sense of self is and so this this i have found works with folks who don't believe in god in the hospital right because not everyone's going to say, oh, I want to connect with God or the divine. Some people don't have that framework at all. And as a chaplain, I still go in and I still say, well, I'm here to support you in what helps you to feel like this present suffering isn't all that there is, hmm. um, even though it's it's real and we're not going to deny it. But there is also something else. And so kind of bearing witness and seeing the best self in another human Um can't help but bring out my best self and so it's it's really this really cool feeling of like you're helpless i'm helpless but you know what my best self sees your best self and Mm. if they believe in god god is here to to bear witness to us and we were made in god's image and that's where our best self comes from but if they don't believe in god 
that's a very it's a very um still a very sacred human connection of like you know what i i see you beyond your prognosis i see you beyond your diagnosis i see you as someone who matters and who is is valued and a lot of times the way i'll pray to someone who all the circumstances show don't matter if someone is dying alone or has no family to visit and maybe can't even respond in a critical care situation i will pray um you know so and so i see you and i just um hmm. i'm touched by the life you have lived and the worth you hold and i pray that you know you are not alone and that you know that we see you and we care about you and we are doing everything to keep you comfortable um, and that your life matters to us. And just to know that someone's life matters and that you're there to see it, it seems very simple, but it's it can do a lot, I think, at least for the chaplain to or the person giving the care to say, that's where we start and that's where we end. <laughs> yes, yeah, that seems incredibly um, spiritually powerful, no matter what the um, what what are the the ways that we make sense of all of this um, in the room? Uh, there's something that's happening there that is that is beyond our little you know attempts to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of on that beat, uh, one question I have um, I don't know if any like anecdotes or thoughts come to mind for this. Um, you're you're th we're thinking about like here are some examples of ways that. Um, uh, thinking about the unique things that the person that I want to be there for, uh, what they, what the unique things they bring into the uh, into this interaction, uh, being mindful of that and allowing that to shape how I might um, be a friend to them or be a presence to them. Um, and so, one example that we're just talking about is, you know, uh, religious beliefs or um, belief in God or or not or lack thereof. Um, there are a host of other things you mentioned before, you know, you have to be mindful of the fact that what is the, the power and privilege and positionality that you bring into the room as, as somebody who uh, is who you are. Um, and I'm just curious if there are any other experiences or yeah, like anecdotes or thoughts that kind of help you think through, um, Hey, in this sort of moment, if I want to be there for this person, say there, there's somebody who's quite different from me. Um, how can I best do that? Wow. That is a great question. And it's such a real thing because, um, you know, we all have our own backgrounds. And then as we try to connect with someone else, we, we, we want to transcend those differences without ignoring them. Yes. Perfectly yeah. said. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm aware of some of my power and my privilege when I walk in as a chaplain, because I have access to their medical records. I have you know, all this training, I have education and um, different things. And I, so one anecdote comes to mind. I um, had a patient who was um, a white woman who was a little older. So in some respects, maybe one would think, oh, she has a little more privilege than I would as a young woman of color, but she had never learned to read. She had mm. gone through school somehow and never learned to read and then was um, just, bouncing around in different nursing homes and had been hospitalized over six months during the pandemic and didn't have family. And um, here I am with like graduate degrees and, you know, walking in to someone who, because she never learned to read, has just her mind worked differently. She would hmm. um, remember things differently and she couldn't write it down. And she would just, um, she had certain mannerisms that were very um, frustrating for staff who didn't know her story. And so, 
just to kind of know in the back of my head without necessarily like having to say everything out loud. I think it's more of a self-awareness of, um, you know, we each have our own stories and we each have found our ways of being resilient. And mm. this woman is so freaking resilient to be able to remember her doctor's names, their phone numbers, her diagnosis and all the, all the other things that, um, I've never had to learn that skill because I can just write it down and just to just kind of see her in not like, oh, you know, here she is doing this, that and the other kind of the way the other medical staff would complain, but to say, wow, this is what life handed to her and this is what she did with it. And wow, that is resilience and to tap into that. And so our visits became about look at how much you've coped with in your life so far. Hmm. Where did you get that superpower from? Or wow, yeah. Have you always been this smart to be able to just hear something and repeat it to yourself and remember it that way? Um, and to just really help someone or celebrate the ways that they have really um, kind of said to life, you know, you've given me this and I will I will take what you you've given me and make a life for myself. Yes. I don't know if that's kind of what you were asking, but I think it totally is. Okay. It totally is. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm here. First off, it's just another so beautiful and inspiring story. And it, and it gets at this idea of what resilience is behind this, but yeah, it completely, um, what that helps me to do is imagine, um, what are we, we, we've been talking a great deal in our church, um, about how all of us are, are many different layers of identities and, um, and how those identities stack up in the world that we live in and the city that we live in or the, the, our neighborhoods or our communities, it's going to, it's going to leave us a different, you know, a kaleidoscope of power, privilege, not, you know, uh, all of those things. And for us to be able to, to be mindful of those things in every setting, like you're just kind of modeling for us a way of like those, those things play out all the time. No matter what we're doing, they're always there. Our backgrounds and how we look and how we interact in this world are always there with us, even when we're there for somebody else in pain and we're trying to center somebody else. And um, and that is just so so valuable for us to um, to uh, just see a, a picture of what it's like to transcend difference, but also not ignore it. Uh, that that just really feels really really great the way you the, the painted that for us. Yeah. What. Oh, please. Yeah, you had one more thought there. Yes. Um, so something else came to mind, too, that I think is also kind of like in the line of what you're saying, sensible, but sometimes slips our minds. Um, mm, yes. Which is just the first thing to also just to ask for permission hmm. to be there with someone. Right. Do you even want me here? You know, <laughs> if this is not helpful, I will trust that something or someone else will be more helpful and it's not personal. And that is also such a relief of like, honestly, it's not about me. It's about what that person needs. And so um, just to even ask, is this helpful? Would you like me? Yes. And yes. then if the answer is yes to say, sometimes to say, well, what would be helpful? What is there anything you can think of that I can do? And sometimes they will tell you exactly what they need. And that just takes off the anxiety as well. Right. So, um, I've had people say, um, can you just sit here and hold my hand? And then I know what I'm supposed to do without having to go through the mental gymnastics of figuring out. Someone might say, um, can you just pray for this? Or can you just listen to me talk about this? And 
sometimes just saying, oh, yeah, I don't need to know what to do. I can ask them. <laughs> you can ask them. They know what they need. <laughs> Again, yes, so, it goes back yeah. to like they're the expert on, the, on their own selves. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's really great. Um, I think I want to I want to bring us to one last question that just I think is excellent from Ed in the chat um, asking, uh, how do we deal with compassion fatigue? Uh, it, how do you deal with the threat of that when you are somebody who, you know, certainly in, in, in your line of work as somebody who is constantly entering into the the crosses of other people and saying, I will come alongside you and, and do that Jesus like thing. But all of us like have have a drive to do that in some way. And we are, you know, busy, sometimes stressed out, you know, all of those things, people, how do we deal with that threat? That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, one is to acknowledge that I have my limits. And so just to be aware of um, when I'm getting close or when I'm when I'm feeling that 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 fatigue. Um, so I don't think there's a way to avoid it altogether. There's just a yeah. way to kind of track where you are. So, um, that's a starting place. And then the second thing for me is just saying, well, you know, um, at the end of the day, do I trust that, um, there's a higher being or, you know, people who believe in God in that framework that God can ultimately also supply their needs. And I'm just a part of whatever, god can do for that person and so um this is a little different between friendships like friends in pain and then hospital patients who i may never see again so i, I realize it might be a little different yeah that's a good distinction mm -hmm. yeah because you will see your friends again hopefully um, <laughs> <laughs> but for me um in the hospital context when i walk off one floor i leave it behind and i'm intentional about it i usually when i badge out of a a, a unit I, you know, we have to wash our hands. And when I wash my hands, that's my ritual of saying, I'm letting it go. Yes. I did what I could. And you know what? I'm going to walk away and trust that that person will continue to receive care from whoever God brings their way. And I will just literally walk away from the situation and, and kind of um, move on to a new headspace because I have to see about at least 40 patients a week. And if I hold on to every story, there's no way I'm going to be able to go to the next person and be present to them because I'm going to be thinking about that last guy. So <clears throat> that's in the hospital context. And in the friend context, it's a little different. I will think about my friends and a conversation for a couple of days. I can't let go of that easily. But I think the same idea of, well, do I trust that? Um, really, like, I'm not. I'm not going to save anyone. I'm not going to fix anyone. And do I really have like actual, to me, this is the actual crux of faith. It's not what I believe or if I believe the right things, Yes. this trust that, you know what, it will be, it will be, I don't know if it'll be okay. It'll be. And just to kind of even stop there and just say, it will be. And um, I trust that it will be well, but I don't know. And I'm okay. Not knowing. And we'll just see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. want to one up. I want to one up that. I just think that that is, um, I, I especially the idea of some sort of physical ritual, you know. And and so, like in in the job setting, obviously, there's that, you know, washing your hands. There's something that you can um, that you can do to embody this idea of I am, I'm, I'm going to leave this here, and I have to move on to this next thing. 
Uh, but even in even when we're talking about the friend settings, even when we're talking about uh, the things that are going to stay with us, and it's it's not so clean, you know, it's not like I will never see this person again. That's okay. Like having, uh, I think having embodied rituals where, like, this is why like deep breaths and things like that are always a part of prayer experiences, and that sort of thing. Just these these things can just, you know, like okay. I am, uh, you know, like I, I've, I've just spoken with somebody who I care about deeply and is in great pain. And now I have to go and be dad. And I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to, um, you know, like put my hands on the table and my feet on the ground and just say, I'm okay. It will be, you know, and, uh, and then I can turn in. And little rituals like that, those are the experiences of, of a living God coming and like, like moving our whole selves because our bodies can go, I, I can move out of my room and, you know, and go and try to be dead. But like my whole self doesn't go with me unless I embody that, you know, in, in some way, try to try to trick myself to go with it, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, I think like those are the moments where, where God comes in and truly like, you want to talk about like having an, a prayer experience of just like, okay, I'm going to turn you over here. And it doesn't look, you know, like a mountaintop experience. It doesn't look like, you know, something to write home about or something that people will think is like, oh my gosh, what an incredible experience of God. But I think those are the moments that we experience God the most when we can ritualize our need to move from, to shift from one context to the next, especially when we're talking about being in pain with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And just even talking about how embodied things are, when you were speaking, I was thinking about when um, the woman reached out and touched the hem of Jesus's garment and he felt okay. the power leave him. So it's about self-awareness and, and knowing mm. how we are affected by other people. Jesus didn't pretend to be Superman and say, I'm going to give and give and give and give and give and I'll be fine. Like he felt it when he was self-aware about it. Oh, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. Like he could feel the power go down and he's like, okay, I'm tracking my energy. Right. And so, yeah. And so like, I'm an introvert and I have to constantly track like, okay, where's my people energy. Right. Oh, oh, that really drained me. I'm down. And I need to acknowledge that I'm, I'm weak. I, 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 I have my limitations. And so it's, it's also a sense of humility of like, okay, I need to go take care of myself because I need, I'm needy as well. I'm not just the caregiver, but I'm also human. So just what, what can we do ritually? Can I breathe? Can I wash my hands? Can I walk? Can I take a walk? Can I go out in the sun and just like soak up the sun rays a little bit? Um, here in Southern California, we might have a little more to go around, but um, not, to, not to rub that in. But, you know, what can we do physically to, um, to recharge? Yes, yes, I love that. What a what a fine reading of of that 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 moment of uh, Jesus felt power go out of him, and th- this idea of like that that's that's Jesus being self aware of his own energy level, not you know like I felt power go out of me because I'm so powerful and there's always power going out of me, you know like the, such a different read of that, and I I find that really beautiful. I find that really connecting. Mm, thanks. Well, it came out of what you were saying, so you know it's always about co creating insight. Mm. On the fly theology happening yeah. here at Brownline exactly. Church. Aren't you all excited? Um, well, sort of in the spirit of, of like, you know, embodied prayer experiences, Natasha, since we're coming to the close of our time here, I wonder if I wonder if you could lead us in prayer. I wonder if you could take us into a space where that might encourage us or, or feed us in some way um, in, in the ways that we're talking about. Sure, I would be happy to. Yeah. Okay, so... 
Let us, um, let us pray. If you want to um, take a deep breath and kind of get, stretch a little bit and get comfortable. I know I've been scrunching over because I was so eager to engage. Um, but God, I just acknowledge that we have come together as a community um, on Zoom and that we have been together in this conversation, but also um, we each bring our own stories and experiences around this topic. And perhaps as we take a few deep breaths, um, we can notice if there's any energy and a part of our body as we've gone through this morning. And I'm gonna send some breath towards that part of my body and just acknowledge um, how I feel right now. And as we just keep breathing and being aware of ourselves, if there's um, an image or a thought that has kind of been pulled up um, after hearing this conversation, I also just acknowledge that and send a breath out and just release um, any energy that might be storing up inside and get a sense of grounding with my breathing. God, you, you are the God who sees us. Just like um, you saw Hagar in the wilderness when she was in pain, when she was suffering and had no way out of her situation, you saw her and you were there with her in the wilderness. And so Lord, um, you see each of us where we are right now this morning and you see those in our lives who might be in their own space of wilderness. Um, we thank you that you are the God who sees and that you are also God with us. We ask that we would um, not just know that, but feel it through the rest of today, that we would, as a result, be more present to ourselves as well. Um, that we would give ourselves the same curiosity and grace that we want to give to others as we notice things about ourselves and, and just kind of realize that um, we may not know what to do at all times, um, but that we're, we're in it and we're learning and things will be, and that we will, we'll see, we'll see what comes as we keep moving forward and that we can do the same with those in our lives. I uh, ask that you would bless this, um, community of folks uh, based in Chicago, but also just wherever people are tuning in from, that um, they would feel an embodied sense of presence wherever they are. And um, for any questions that came up or, or things that um, still weren't really talked about through our talk, I also trust that uh, whatever is not complete from this morning will be made complete in time. And that we will continue to just figure it out <laughs> because we really don't have the complete answers just yet. And we're just on this journey to learn together. So we thank you for this um, time. And I ask that you would bless all those on this call. Amen.